Welcome to another episode of Wake Up with Wesley. I'm your host, Wesley, and today we are talking to Nate Wynn. Nate! Hello! Hi! Hi! I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> I'm happy too. It's great to like be here and just ready for a good conversation. I am too. It's bright and early in the morning. You know what? Today I was like, I want to do all my podcasts right when I wake up. Like, what a good way to start the day. This is Seriously. fun. It really is. It is. Like, I... It's, I struggle waking up in the morning, but once I'm up, I love it. Like the best time of day, like especially like when the sun's still rising, you know, and you're like driving and no one else is there. It's, you know what we have? Vibe. We have a rule in our house and it's like something that's new, uh-huh. but we need to be outside during the transitions. Yes. We like like the early mornings and then right before it gets dark, like we need to be outside doing something. We feel better. Our whole, like our kids are better. I'm a better mom. My husband's better. It's the transitions. I love that. You be outside. You're right. I'm going to try that. Try it. So yes. Nate, you are, you're a speaker, public mm-hmm. speaker. You're yes, also a writer. Mm-hmm. I am. I am. And we're talking, I mean, this is this is sprawling. I don't think like there's a sentence that can just totally right? <laughs> like like it can't go over what we're about to talk about, but it's September. And it is. It's suicide prevention and awareness month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So September is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month for the United States. Hopefully everywhere. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a big month for me. Um, it's a lot of people, when you say the word suicide, they kind of like, you know, they recoil, they they're recoil like, oh. and they're like, Ugh, or yeah. like, they're like, oh gosh, like, Ugh. but it's something that needs to be talked about. So it's a good month to have a month to celebrate it and bring awareness to it so that we can just like make it less of a stigma. You know, there's this myth when it comes to talking about suicide that like, I'm a mom. So I get it. I yeah. get it. These big, big, big real life topics. It's like you want your kids to know about them, but you almost don't want to plant the seed of knowledge in their mm. brain. And I think moms think that it's like contagious. Like if they know about it, it becomes an an, an option in their children's mind. Mm-hmm. But I know, and this is kind of where I want you to go, is that that is so far from the truth. Truly. It really is. I know so like for me, I go around and I talk about my suicide attempt story and it's because I used to believe that too. Like I used to believe what those moms said. Mm-hmm. So at first I wouldn't talk about it. And um, growing up, I had um, an uncle who passed away from suicide, a great uncle, my, my grandma's um, basically best friend. And he killed himself um, back in the 50s. And she found out it was because he was gay. He like left a little note to her. Oh. Um, and it was, it's just something we've never talked about. Like, um, and I was like named after him, which is really funny because oh I'm gay my too. Gosh. Um, so it's kind of like a repeat. Wow. Right. Um, but it's kind of, it put that seed in my head like, oh, it's something you shouldn't talk about because then it's going to make, other people think that that's an option and it's a, like okay to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a healthy way out. Um, and so then when my own suicide attempt happened, I I kind of felt that way at first. I was like, no, I can't talk about it. Um, but I'm such an empath naturally and I'm a huge extrovert. And so usually if 
I've gone through something and started to heal or fully healed from something, I want to share because I want others to be like grow from that, learn, or if they need just someone to hear them and mm-hmm. heal a little bit from like my words, I want to be there. Oh, you're I I know after doing this for as long as I've done this, I know that there is such power behind sharing your stories, whatever they are, if it's a messy story, if it's a beautiful story, like I don't even care what the story is. There is power behind sharing your story and healing for the people who listen, Mm. but more for the person who shares. Every time I go inward and express what has happened to me in my life, I heal it a little bit. Right? Every time. Right. And you take power away from that fear. Yes. It's so important. So I... I think I want to know a little bit about you. Let's yeah. let let's go back into your past, a little bit into your upbringing. Like, what makes you you? And then we can get into the big life events that have happened yeah. in the last few years. Let's do it. Um, so, born and raised in Utah, um, raised most of my life in Lehigh, Utah, of all places. You know, I was I lived in Lehigh. Really, That's where I started out. Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised um, like down the street from Willow Creek Middle School. Oh my gosh! Yeah, okay. um, which is just like suburbs. Um, Lehigh, Utah is like thick. Like that's just like Utah in a bubble. Literally, like, just Utah a bunch County. of mink farms. <laughs> There's all these the me- Lehigh roller the mills. Lehigh roller mills, like <laughs> churches, every block, literally every block. People literally. don't believe me when I talk about Utah. I'm like, no, there are. You can see two church steeples within like your Even same, the same line block of sometimes. Yes, even yes. the same block sometimes. Wow, and you're like. What the freak? Mm-hmm. But you go somewhere else and you like drive 30 minutes to get to a church. <laughs> it's true. Like any type of church. Um, it's really funny. Um, so yeah, very suburbs. I'm the youngest of three. Got two older sisters. Um, hmm. I grew up, I don't know. I was I was like that kid that I didn't have too many friends because I was just like, I was really small. Like I was a really tiny kid. And like physically, you physically, were just little. Physically, I was just so small. Like when my I was little 12, son is little. I was four nine. Oh, okay, like, I was be so kid. tiny. And like I didn't even hit a hundred pounds till like junior high. I was just a tiny little guy. Um, so I kind of just stayed in the shadows, and the only time I really shined is when like I did like stuff in the arts, whether it was like um like musical theater or ballet or stuff like that. Because then like it was just a way to express. And so growing up, I did a lot of artistic things and I still enjoy that a lot. Um, And I just had my small friends to group. I grew up Mormon um, and was raised uh, really religiously. Like I feel like there's in every... Whatever, like, religion or faith you are, there's, like, in my opinion, like, not actual tears, but just, like, how committed the person is. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. and You like, were on the high, high yeah. commitment level, where it crosses over not just on Sundays. It's, like, your nightly di- dinners discussions. It's, mm-hmm. like, all-encompassing. Like, every discussion, like, everything is focused around it. Like, every choice, like, it was, it was a lot. Um, and so I was, like, really invested in it and it was my life and it was my world and whenever I could I would talk about it and I was like that weird kid that like only would talk about religion if I could or like really re- read like religious books and so what you found like I found a lot of my like I based myself off of it wow mm-hmm. like like 
before my mission, I like tried to do like a Mormon blog, like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I was invested. And like pre mission, I even did modeling for the church. Like I do editorial stuff now. Um, and like really artsy makeup, like photo shoots or like sometimes some really pretty nude work um, nowadays. But um, when I was a part of the church, I was hired by the church to like model their posters for like yeah. general conference or like, and like just be like smiling with a prophet or whatever. Wow. Yeah. You were in it. I was in it. I was committed. So I this podcast is all over the world. Can you explain what a mission is for people? Who yes. Don't? So a Mormon mission is basically for men of the church. It's a, it's a calling and it's something that they're really asked to do. Um, it's two years and you go to wherever the church decides and you serve and you proselyte and you, in in short words, like basically try to get people to become part of your church and become members. Mm-hmm. And you baptize them and you teach them lessons. Um, and you do that for two years, seven days a week um, with like a name tag, shirt and tie, um, I did that for six months. Um, I went to Tallahassee, Florida, um, and I mainly served in a county in Mississippi and then also one in Georgia. Um, and I really struggled when I went on my mission. Um, did that surprise you? Yeah, it really did. I had the worst anxiety like out there. And I also, like, my anorexia came back up. So throughout my life, I really struggled with anorexia. Mm -hmm. And in eighth grade, I had to go to, like, a recovery unit um, for my entire eighth grade year um, to get help to be, to get healthier. So I would learn that it's okay to eat. Yeah. And it's okay to gain weight. Yes. Um, I really got into my head. Um. And so when I went on my mission, I was fine in the MTC. And for those who don't know, the MTC is a missionary training center. So you go there for a little bit before you go out to proselyte. Um, they just teach you tools on like basically how to be a good missionary. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I got. Wait, I sorry, I'm going to cut you no, off. No, you're fine. Did you know that you were gay? I knew I was gay, but I didn't ever call myself gay. I never, like, I never spoke it out loud. I never, like, would allow myself. Um, you didn't want to speak truth into it. No. I didn't want allow, I didn't want to allow myself to be true. Yeah. Um, like, I had crushes growing up. My first crush was in preschool. In my preschool class, his name was Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought he was so cute. He had, like, this big, like, curly afro. And he was just gorgeous. So you always knew. I always knew. Yeah. And it really solidified for me when my mom, my mom has a gay brother and he's married and he, he was traveling. So he's an author and he had a layaway. He made a layaway in Salt Lake for a day mm-hmm. so that him and his husband could visit us. So he went out to dinner and I saw him and his husband like holding hands and just being so romantic and cute and... In, like, my little head, I just knew that I wanted that. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was like them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what that word was at that time. 
at, from a Mormon fundamental family, yeah. did your parents, were your parents like, oh, this is his friend? Or were they open with you? My mom was totally open. My mom grew up in San Diego. Um, she, like, and San Diego's like a very openly gay scene. Um, California in general. Um, Southern California just has a really big scene that's like out and proud. Um, and he came out like when she would, was in high school. And so she's very like pro all that. My dad grew up in Roosevelt. And for those who don't know, Utah Roosevelt's a very small town. <laughs> Take Lehigh, cut it into like eights. <laughs> literally, literally. And like he grew up on a ranch. The first gay person he met was my mom's brother at their wedding. Uh-huh. Like he didn't have any experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the dinner, we went to my dad's side for a family party. And a couple of my dad's siblings were like, making fun of my gay uncle. And in the back of my head, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't be this. I was like, they see him as lesser of a human. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be seen that way. To be like ridiculed by family. Literally. Is the, maybe the most, like the deepest wound. It's, it literally is. And it sticks with you. Mm -hmm. Like, almost, in my opinion, sometimes forever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some things my family has said that still stick with me. Um, like, after my suicide attempt, um, my dad's side, a lot of them shut me out because it was a shame to have that in the family and that I spoke about it. <sighs> and so I, it, I was just heartbroken by it. And so... Um, yeah, it definitely sticks with you. Yeah. So I get out on my mission field. And when I got on the field, I got the worst anxiety. I felt trapped. Um, on, When you're on your mission, like, they give you a phone, but you only can call a cell phone. But you only can call, like, people that are getting taught by you or, like, the mission president. Like, you can't call home, like, except once a week. And you have to stay in, like, your county or, like, mm-hmm. your little area. And for me, I felt so trapped by that. I was like, okay, so – and I don't know why. It just, like, built up inside me. And then one day, uh, my companion and I, we were uh, walking around trying to find someone to share a message with or, like, see if someone wanted to teach. And we came upon this gay man. And we didn't know it till we, like, started talking with him, you know, and found out. And we actually had a lesson with him because he was a gay Christian. Um, And then we walked away and I was like, hey, we should definitely come back to him. He seemed really nice. He seemed interested. And my companion was like, Elder, it's a waste of time because either he's going to fall in love with us. Or, which is, like, very, like, okay. If you're a gay man and you see a man, you're obviously Right, you're obviously (laughs) attracted to every man. Uh, Or he's just, like, he's, he's like, he just can't fully be part of a church. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Because, like, in the Mormon church, for, like, your listeners who don't know, like, you can't be a fully self-accepting gay person if you're a part of the Mormon church. 
Because so you can't like have any romantic relations. Yep, you basically have to be celibate. You have to be celibate for your entire life. For your entire life, if you want to be able to be a full participating Mormon member. And this even go like no masturbation too. Yeah, no masturbation for men or women, whether mm-hmm. you're queer or not. Yeah, like you're not ma- allowed to masturbate. They consider it a huge like sin. Um, and. I was just heartbroken by that. It was just crazy. So the church now comes out and say, and and they they tell people we accept. Yeah, we accept, we accept gay people. Them, you just have to be completely celibate. You can't have any romantic relationships, and even you friendships. can't even like like as like men, even straight men sometimes you know just like lean with lean on each other on a couch while they watch a movie. You know, mm-hmm. a straight person could do that, but like Not to them, that's man. actually a no no. Yeah, like you could get in trouble for that. Yeah. And then you know all this and you're on a mission. Yeah. So your mind is just Oh, just reeling. Reeling. Because they even have like the website, you know, Mormon and Gay. Like the Mormon Church has that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's a whole website called Mormon and Gay and it's produced by the church. And they have when I was out to only a couple members, like they asked me originally to be on it. And I was like, in the back of my head, I knew I I was like, one day maybe I'll come out. So I said mm-hmm. no. But it's active Mormon members that are gay, lesbian, whatever, who fully abide by the church's rules. Mm-hmm. And it's and like little videos of them. And it. That's, that, that is a true thing. There are gay members of the church who Find fully, so much joy. They, they, they love it. They're so happy. Mm-hmm. So I think that that has to be said, too. Like, it can be done. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I would choose that for myself. Exactly. Same. And, like, everyone has their own truth and everyone finds their own joy. Mm-hmm. So if that is where you find joy and you're truly happy, then I'm okay with that, obviously. Like, and follow what your heart tells you to do. Just make sure it's your heart telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, so after about six months on my mission, I had to come home. Um my anxiety was so bad, but my anorexia was really bad. Um, and I was at a place where I was eating maybe like once a week, not oh my leaving my gosh. bed. Um, it just consumed me. Um, because Can I ask the- what triggered the anorexia to come back so full yeah. force? For me, I think it was honestly, it was lack of control. Oh my, In my gosh. Opinion. After I get talking it. with my therapist... Your whole life was controlled. Yeah, the food—that was the one thing. That was you the had one thing I could. Over. Wow. Mm-hmm. It was the one sense. thing I could control, and it was also like a way I punished myself for like being gay or like having gay thoughts. Mm-hmm. So it was like a reminder to me to be like, "Hey, you can't control anything that you can't control anything, but you can control who knows if you're gay, and you can control what you eat." And so, like, after therapy, like, going through therapy for this, my therapist was like, yeah, this is, this is what I think it is. And I was like, that resonates with me. That resonates. Yeah, I get that so much. It's the only thing you could do. The only thing. I mean, they tell you when you wake up, when you go to bed, who you, you, even to shower, don't you only get, like, five minutes alone in a shower? Yeah, Yeah. because then your, like, companion knocks on the door and checks just to make sure you're not masturbating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) weird it's so weird but we're like yeah we get it this is how we were raised i was raised that way too like and we thought it was so normal that was so normal like of course the companion would come and check exactly can't be alone i was like how like why wouldn't they Mm -hmm. like i i think that's hilarious that we both like we like that we were like yeah totally (laughs) of course or like and like i was even one of those mormons that like didn't like 
I was like against caffeine. Like I thought it was such a sin to drink yeah. a Coca-Cola. Yeah. I was like. Crossing that line. I was like, you're drinking caffeinated soda. <laughs> I was that. Oh, I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and now I'm like a Dr. Pe- Pepper addict. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. <laughs> you went hard with the DP. I did. <laughs> I went so hard. That was your first thing. You're like, I'm buying a damn. Dr. I was like, Pepper. I'm getting like a big gulp of Dr. <laughs> Pep first sin. Here we go. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So I could. This is the best. I could talk to you all day. I yes. love talking to people who just know. I you get right? it. I get it. Oh, it's it's funny to me but what happened so the anorexia you're you're i'm assuming that the mission president and your companion were obviously like tipping people off yeah so they did they come to you and they were like listen you need help or did you go to to them them. okay so my companion and i we didn't really get along this last one um he was just very like he just was like he was very strict and very by the rules and very just like no, like, this is this, it's that, blah, blah, blah. And, like, we just butted head a lot. So finally, I just called my mission president, and, like, I was like, I gotta go home. Because my mission president, like, had a doctor, like, was trying to get me help so that I could get healthy and see if I could stay out on the mission field. Um, But I talked to the doctor privately. um, And even though the doctor shouldn't have, I'm grateful he did, he told the mission president, he's like, this missionary's health is not good enough. Like, he actually has to go home. Anorexia is the one mental illness that it it's the highest death rate. It, it really is. It like, literally can kill you. Yeah. I mean, like, there's fa- like Karen Carpenter. She was yeah. forever ago, but she died of anorexia. Yeah. Um, And so the doctor told him that. And then finally I called the mission president after sneaking calls to my mom. And she's like, just, just force him to ta- send you home. Um, Your mother, your sweet mother. She's amazing. (laughs) Force him to come. That's permission to you too. Literally. Come home. Validation. Yes. And so I called him and I was like, I have to go home. I think we have to talk about the shame. Oh. Coming home. So much shame. I'm going to sneak in here to talk about Viore. So Viore is my brand new Wake Up With Wesley podcast sponsor and it is me in a nutshell. Like if I was a clothing brand... I would be Viore. It, I'm. It's just everything I'm all about. So if you've never heard of Viore, it is. It's a new perspective on performance apparel. So it's perfect if you are, if you're like me, if you're sick and tired of traditional old workout gear because everything is designed to work out in, but it doesn't look and it especially does not feel like old workout stuff. Viore is just. It is beyond comfortable. It is buttery, soft. And if you know me, that's like one of my three main focuses in life. Like, it's a value of mine. Comf- if, if I'm not comfortable, it's not happening. So, Viore marks that. It is so comfortable, yet versatile. So, it can be used for just about any activity, like running, cross-training, yoga, weightlifting. But it's also just great if, if you're a mom. Or if you just want to lounge around your house. Or on a weekend. Like, it is perfect. Perfect. So I'm actually wearing the woman's daily legging right now. And no mistake in the name because you will wear them daily. They look good with like a jean jacket or like, like they're cute. You can wear them out or you can just chill, throw a big hoodie on. You're comfy for the rest of the day. So the best part about them to me is the fact that while they're extremely comfortable, 
They don't slip on. I mean, they look good. They make my body look good. And I don't know how to, they do it. I think it's because of this waist. Like, they have this waistband. It's high-waisted, first of all. But there's a drawstring tie in the middle of the waist, like closer to your hips. And I'm telling you, I just look better in these pants. I'm going to put an Instagram up. Like, I will show you me in regular non-Viori workout clothes compared to Viori. My body is the exact same body. I look better in Viori. Don't know how. Don't know how. I'm not going to pretend I, I know how. <laughs> they did it. So... Viori is an investment into your happiness. You can live in these clothes. You can feel comfortable in these clothes. You can do stuff in these clothes. So for our listeners, they are offering 20%, you guys, 20%, 20% off your very first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on this planet at vioriclothing.com slash Wesley. So that's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash Wesley. Not only will you receive 20% off your very first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. order over $75 plus free returns. Go to vioriclothing.com slash Wesley and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Now let's get back to the show. The rumor mill spins. Mm-hmm. So, like, I get home and, like, some people that, like, I thought were my friends shunned me because I came home from early from a mission. Like, they didn't even know why I came home. They just, like, you know, like, it's a big deal when a guy comes home or a girl. If anyone comes home early from a Mormon it's mission. It's a very shameful thing. Yeah. You come home with your head down. Down. Because they assume... That it's because you sinned Mm -hmm. or you did something wrong. Couldn't hack it. Yeah, you couldn't hack it. You're not strong enough or you're not worthy enough of God or whatever. And other people like spread rumors that like I slept with a sister missionary, Mm -hmm. which is hilarious to me (laughs) because I could never. (laughs) But yeah, and it was just like a huge shameful experience. And for like the first year coming home, I would only go to sacrament. And then I would just leave and go home because I didn't want to deal with people. And like people blatantly, like everyone asked me, so why'd you come home really from your mission? Mm-hmm. And it's like none of their business. Like it wasn't because I sinned, but it's not something you need to know because you're going to spread it and tell everyone. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So what happened in the weeks coming home? So coming home, obviously I, I got health. I got healthy again, and I, I was, like, eating and doing my thing. Um, I enrolled in school um, at a local college, and I really— the only thing that changed when I came home was, like, my location. I was still gay. I just wasn't accepting it. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, it really hit me that I was gay. Um And, like, I had my first, like, gay sex experience, and I did a repentance process for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just fully, like, I knew I was gay, and I didn't know what to do now. So I um, went to my bishop. Um, a bishop is the 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 guy in charge of the church. Yeah, that you go to. he's like he's basically like what is, he's like the preacher uh-huh. in like regular terms. He's of like a small congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him I was gay. He was the first person I ever told out loud. Um, how was that? It was honestly very made me feel unvalidated. Um. 
because I told him and he was like, okay, um, I'm going to, I need to sit on this and think about it. Um, can we like meet in a couple weeks? The bishop needed to think about yeah. it? About you being gay? Yeah. What's there to think about? I know. What, what does he mean? I know. <laughs> I know. And I was like, I was just really thrown off. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, we can definitely do that. Like and he would come back to you and be like, you're actually not gay. Like, I, well, wait gay? for it, sister. <laughs> oh, <gosh>. oh <laughs> So then strange. like about a month went by and we met again and he's said, hey, I know this gentleman. Um, he does this type of therapy. It's called conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to help people who deal with same-sex attraction. Um, he's had it done on himself and it's helped him. Would you be willing to just go and talk to him and see if you would like to do this and see if it can help you uh, with this trial that you're facing? Being gay. Yeah. Same-sex attraction is what they call it. Same-sex attraction is the trial for him. Um, And at that time, I I said yes. I was so... I was so desperate to make God proud Mm-hmm. And to be worthy in his eyes, because like the that epitome kind of just like makes me want to cry, right? It, yeah, it really does. It's it's horrible yeah. because I was so lost that I just wanted to only make him proud, mm-hmm. um, and I would do anything. I didn't feel like I had a community. I was an early return missionary. I tried going on dates with girls. And, like, nothing was connecting. Nothing was working. I didn't have many friends. And so the one thing I thought I could make strong was my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I went. And um, the guy seemed nice. Um, it was just done at his home. Um, and now there's multiple forms of conversion therapy. Um I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of research after my experience. I've heard horrific stories of conversion therapy. Yeah. Um, and mine, after doing research, it was, mine was a lot like the type of things they did in the 50s. What? So Those are the most horrifying ones. Yeah. So mine was about 11 months long. It was how long I lasted to do it. Um, and the first type we did... Um, I was, it was in his basement and he had a TV and he put on gay porn. Um, and I was naked and he had, was he in the room? Yeah. So, oh my God, this is, this is, this really happened. Yeah. No, this, this, like everything I'm saying is a truth. And it just happened how many years ago? This was four years ago. See, people think that this shit is old. I know. This is happening now. Yeah. This is why last year I sat for 12 hours in front of Governor Cox's, um, the governor of Utah, Governor Cox's uh, office, when they denied the conversion therapy bill. So, and like we made the newspaper and we made the news to bring awareness that it's still real. And I had like 25 people, 25 and younger, that have been through conversion therapy. What did he do with you in that room? So with this one... Because I went through, th- I went through three forms, um, 
And this one, so I was naked. I was tied to a chair. Tied? Um, yeah. So, like, my hands were tied back. So, like, I couldn't touch myself. <gasps> um, and he had the gay porn on, and he had um, those little shock things on my body. Like, are they those sticky things? Mm-hmm, that, like, you can get electrocuted by. And then if he saw that I got aroused by the gay porn, he would shock me. Oh, my gosh. Nate. Yeah. And that went on for like three and a half to four months. And it was twice a week. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I like am at a loss for words. I didn't know. I didn't know that this still happened. Yeah. Like it does. <laughs> and um, now it's illegal in Utah, but there's still 12 states that any form of conversion therapy is still illegal. That is still legal. There's still 12 states in the United States. And there's so many countries that this is still legal and still happening. I like, there's so many layers to this, like the embarrassment, mm-hmm. the shame, you're tied down, you're, you're physically harming. Yeah. Like I, what would you do after you would leave those, those appointments? After a while, at first, um, I was kind of just in shock and I, um, didn't do much. I just went home, you know, I literally just kind of sat in my room and then after a while I just became numb. Uh, I I literally was numb. And you turn off feeling. I turned off. Yeah. I didn't hang out with anyone. Um I didn't really talk to anyone. I didn't do anything except that and went to school and work. Um and he also did two other types. So he did what I now know the term as. I didn't know what the term was, but uh waterboarding. So he did that and he waterboarded you. Yeah. So for him, it he said this was like the way we like suffocate out the gay. What the fuck? What yeah. the fuck? What like so he would do the same situation, you'd be tied down to a chair, he would put on porn? Uh not for that. The waterboarding, it was just like it was just that. So like just drown you with water with yeah. a towel over your head? Yeah. And would, you're like, gay? hold me under the water. <gasps> and it was it was for him to like suffocate out the gay. Oh my god! Yeah. Did your parents know that this was going? No. On? Um, which people have said uh, after different interviews I've done of this exact same story, people have said that like my parents put me in this and that they forced me. My parents had no idea, and they didn't know the story of my waterboarding until after my suicide attempt. And so, like, this was, like, not – my family didn't force me. um, You were willingly doing this. I did at the time. I willingly did, yes. Wow. I did because – which now I just – I regret, obviously. But you – but also – But there was – I was not – I can't – I can't blame myself for the mental state I was in. Um, it's our salvation. Yeah. That's what people need to understand. Like if you, if you can't reach the celestial kingdom in our, in the previous way that we both yeah. believed, like you, you're away from those, your family. It's like heaven. Heaven. It's like heaven. Yeah. You're alone. You you're can't alone. Be with your family. You're away from your family. You can't visit your family. 
Like they can't visit you. Like you are alone, especially if you're like don't and you can't be in like the highest part of heaven if you don't marry someone. That has to be for you, female. Yeah, you mm-hmm. like that's what like that's what the, that's what the church taught. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, uh, the highest, like the holiest of holy, in the Mormon Church is to get sealed and be the closest to God in heaven is to be sealed to someone of the opposite sex in the Mormon temple, and then you're at the highest part of heaven, mm-hmm. in in the church's eyes. And I was like, how do I get that? You know. And so that's why I was willing to do it at the time. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was just, it was one time, um, but he had a woman come in um, and like, she tried to like, he had her, he asked her to try and touch me basically in a sexual way. Like a prostitute? I don't know. A paid woman? I don't know. What the fuck? This is the weirdest shit. And it is, it's fucked up. There's no other word for it. It is, it's actually fucked up. Yes. And um, it's disgusting and it's not conversion therapy at this point. It's torture. But yeah. all conversion therapy is torture. You can check like the American psychiatrist like website, like all these like medical professional like websites, like government owned, all say this doesn't help anyone. No. Like it's doesn't help anyone physical conversion therapy or just verbal or like any form of it. Pray the gay away. Yeah. It fucks the person up for like usually forever in some sort of way. Um, And after that like moment with her, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, I couldn't do anything anymore. And so I just basically gave up on myself I was like, I prayers aren't working. This isn't working. Nothing's working. I am still gay. Like, I still am attracted to men. I can't be attracted to women. I've tried and tried. I've prayed and prayed. And so I picked a date. And I was like, this will be the day that if I'm not even just a little bit straight by then, I'm just going to end it. Um, so it was August 25th, 2016. That was just barely. Mm-hmm. Yep. My You're anniversary. Four year. Yep. Four years here still. Wow. Um, so I went to work that day, um, said goodbye to my coworkers. Like I was going to see him tomorrow. Um, and I went home and I took a lot of different pills <laughs> Um, and laid on my bed because I couldn't do anything else because my body was giving out. Um, and by a miracle, firemen found me, um, because I had one friend by this time I confided in one friend who was also gay, um, and Mormon. And he, um, was going through conversion therapy, but like, a different type. He was going through just like, like with a therapist of like verbal, like let's use the mind to like, like talk therapy. Yeah. Let's change it through talking and hypnosis and stuff. Um, and we were supposed to hang out that night and I forgot. Um, 
And so he was really concerned because he knew I was really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had my address. And so he called 911 because he was really worried. Um, He's a straight up angel. He seriously, knew. like, I don't know who told him to, but I'm so grateful they did. Because mm-hmm. um, the fireman found me passed out. Um, and then I was rushed to the ER. Um, and I was in a medically induced coma for a little bit. Um, because my body was so destroyed from my attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I woke up to my parents on my bedside. Um, and my mom was just crying. Oh, and she was like, why did you do it? Yeah, She's like, I, I don't get it. Because I didn't leave a note. I didn't leave anything for anyone. Why? Because I just didn't see a point. Mm-hmm. It would be more of you explaining it, and you're just you don't want to explain. Yeah, it. it's like, what's the point of explaining something that I'm afraid everyone's going to be ashamed of? Oh my gosh! And I didn't have many friends because I didn't allow anyone in at the time. So I was like, what's the point of a goodbye note at this at this moment? Um, and I literally screamed at her. I screamed at her. I was like, I'm fucking gay. I know you don't fucking want a gay son. Just get the fuck out. And I just kept yelling, get the fuck out, until they did. Oh, my um, God. And then I just started crying, and I was just so hurt and ashamed, and I was angry that I was alive. Yeah. And I yelled at the doctors. I told them that they did their job wrong, oh that if you were a true medical professional, you would have let me go. And obviously they did the right thing, but um, I was just really pissed. I was angry to be alive. Um, So after my body recouped a little bit, I got transferred to the mental hospital. Um, And I was in the floor for like the suicide floor, the suicide watch floor. And um, I was there for a little bit. And for a long time, I didn't think my parents wanted me or accepted me. Um, But every week they would come to therapy. Mm -hmm. So it was me, like you have to, it was a required therapy of me and my parents and a therapist. um, Just to see how I'm doing and see what's going on. Um, And one therapy appointment, I was really upset. And I was like closed off, like turned, and my therapist called me out. And she was like, well, why are you upset? Like, why are you closing us out? Why are you locking us out? Like, what's wrong? And I was like, well, I'm just annoyed right now. And she's like, well, why are you annoyed? And I was like, because my dad isn't talking about me being gay. It's one thing that we have. It's like the big elephant in the room. And my dad just kind of looked in shock. He was like, and at the time, I didn't know this, but a friend of mine actually brought it to my awareness that my dad and both my parents, they did want a gay son. They did? They did, because they would come every week to therapy. They didn't care. 
that I was gay. They wanted me to be alive. They love you. They love me. Mm -hmm. And like my dad had my back when like his family shunned me for like the suicide attempt, like, which I didn't know because I was in the hospital, you know, and like he defended me and they are so supportive and they always have been whether I've allowed them to or not. Yeah. And they just love me. And there really is hope and love after a suicide attempt or after someone succeeded in suicide. Mm -hmm. There's hope in coming out as a queer person. Um, It's not the end of your life, but it's literally the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think for whoever is struggling with accepting themselves, whether it be because they're queer, um, their weight, um, whatever it may be, you're whole as you are. You are. You are. So what was this, the time after when you're still in therapy, when they're watching, isn't it called, um, what's it called? A 2020, there's like a term when they hold you for, for an undetermined period of time after a suicide attempt, right? Mm -hmm. So what was it like coming home? Knowing that you're outed to your family and friends, and of course people here, and then it just spreads like wildfire. It does, and then everyone just knows. Was that a little bit empowering for you? Not empowering, but like, ugh, okay, everyone knows. Let's just move on. It was it was honestly relieving. Relief, yeah. That's, I think, the best word for it. It was relief. Because then I was like, okay, you know what? It's already, it's done. It is what it is. Let's 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 handle what let's handle the situation now. You just do one literally one foot in front of the next. Literally. So you rebuilt your life. But I, this yeah. time it was like as you. Yeah. Instead of your avatar, the person that you pretended to be mm-hmm. just for to survive. Yeah. Out of survival mode. You got to come home from this hospital and just put put your best foot forward in in your authentic self. Yep. And I'm sure it was still scary as hell. It was, but it was so worth it. Hold up, hold up, guys. I got to talk to you about the Daily Shift app. So the Daily Shift app is something that I use each and every single day. It's how I stay grounded. It's how I stay present. It's how I meditate. It is just, it's beautifully simple. And I'll kind of walk you through like a typical day. So in the morning, I wake up and I get on the app. And it reminds me to just close my eyes and take a deep breath. And then I do my gratitude practice, which is just three things that I'm grateful for that day. And then I meditate. And there are amazing guided meditations or just calming music or beats for you to meditate on your own. In the afternoon, it reminds me to breathe again. And then just look around the world. Respect the moment. And then in the evening, another time to breathe. And then three joys throughout that day. And these, it sounds simple, but I promise you, when you start stacking these days, when you are this mindful, this grateful, day after day after day after day, and like the power of writing it down and it collects it, it stores it, you can view the history, this thing, this practice, it starts to snowball and it has the power to truly change your life. And I know that all my listeners here you're here for a reason. It's because you're into this stuff that I'm into. We're into this stuff. We're wanting to better, not just 
the outside world, but our inside world, the way we view things. And I know that The Daily Shift is such a powerful tool in getting there. So Doug Cartwright, the owner and founder of The Daily Shift, he's my friend. He's so lovely. He is offering you guys not only the app, but their masterclass, which is a 75-page workbook. And it has, with the workbook, they have access to like the Daily Shift's private Facebook group, and they hold weekly challenges there and a printable calendar. And the community, I feel, is actually invaluable. And you get all of this with the app included for 139 bucks. This is normally over a grand. So this is a savings of 900 bucks, guys. So you got to take this offer up. You can go to www.thedailyshifts.com slash Wesley and take the leap. So that's www.thedailyshifts.com slash Wesley and you can really start to shift your life. Now let's get back to the show. On my way home actually from the mental hospital, my dad gave me my cell phone and he said, here, you need to call your your small group of friends. Like you need to call them individually mm-hmm. and you need to tell them what happened mm-hmm. and why it happened because they know. They need to hear it from you. But they need to hear it from you. Yeah. And I'm really grateful he did that because by him doing that, I gained some of my power back, mm-hmm. you know? And it took away, with each phone call I had to do, it took away the fear of my of my queerness and it and it switched it out with just the love of the queerness yeah Mm -hmm. how long did it take you to fully because the second i met i mean you walked into my house i hugged you you're like the most beautiful person in the world you're just thank you you're lovely as you are but how long did it take you to get to the man you are today oof honestly it's still a work in progress. You feel that? Yeah, I feel like I've I've truly accepted my queerness and the evolving gay man that I I still am becoming. Mm-hmm. Um but for me I don't think there was one pivotal point. I think it's just slowly been a progression of healing mm-hmm. and Yeah, I I'm proud of who I am. But it's, I feel like for all of us, you know, it's just one of those things that's continuously growing and evolving. I feel that too with my own life. Like it didn't just happen. Right. Every day it happens a little. Mm-hmm. And it just feels a little bit better every single day. And, and you don't notice it in the days. You notice it by the months. Yes. Or even the years. I'm like, I'm better than I was last year. Yeah. Like, or like you just casually see it on like those Facebook memories. You see yes. that? Right. You're like who was I like six years ago? And you see that photo and like, you're like, wow, you've grown a lot. You have grown a lot though, Nate, because you, like you you said that you're an activist now. You're a public speaker on this. Your story is so impactful and powerful. And I saw the picture of you sitting down in city hall, whatever building that was, you sat down on the freaking floor Mm -hmm. until they paid attention to you and your story. Yep. That takes some balls. (laughs) <laughs> it really you. does. Thank you. It's See, a at the big time, deal. it didn't seem like it though for me. It was just, and I think that's the thing. Like, I feel like once you know your truth, doing what is brave to others is just so normal to you. Because mm-hmm. you probably have your moments of like people look at you like, oh my God, 
you doing that is so brave. I mean, you doing this podcast is brave. It's, it's fucking scary to put yourself out there and like, yeah, it never is scary and hone your craft and like do what you're passionate about. That's so brave to like do that. But it doesn't it feel good? Oh, a hundred percent to live in the moment and after. Yeah. It's wild to me. Same. Cause then you're just like, it's, it's the best feeling to just sit in your truth and like, just be with it. How has your world opened up? Since you becoming fully openly yourself and, and expressing yourself, ooh, it's opened up in every way. I've discovered my love of just creating and really honing in on just allowing myself to create when I feel like I need to create, um, whether that's through writing or makeup or speaking or whatever it may be. Um, And honestly, it's just opened me up to be more loving towards others. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. It's allowed me to let others love me, which beforehand I didn't. I was just the shell and I would let the love just stop here and then bounce off. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would never let love... I would never give love back fully. You never fully were seen. Yeah. You didn't allow people to see Exactly. And now I do. So now I just can allow love in every way. Mm -hmm. So you do have more fulfilling friendships and relationships in your life. Oh, 100%. I have have a strong tribe of people around me. Um, And each year that tribe grows a little bigger. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that because the connections are true. And they're just raw. And that's what's important, to have real connections with people that are just genuine. I'm happy for you. Thank you. I am so happy for you. Just this life (laughs) that you live now, it just seems like fruitful, right? And I think that that's what you strived for your whole life. And you couldn't get there being that shell, like you said, of yourself. But now just being openly you. Mm Mm-hmm. They're fruits to being openly yourself, yes. whatever it means. You don't have to be gay. No, right? this, this isn't any- just for gay. Yes. This is literally for anyone and everyone in between. Just be you. Mm-hmm. And then things happen. They always do. And it might take a minute. We talked a little bit about uh, this even before we started recording is that there is this limbo. Yeah. And that's rough, but that's with anything in life. There's always a transitional period and transitions suck. They're yes. the worst parts. It's at the purgatory, I think, actually, yeah. of life. But it just, you have to be patient. Yeah. And then after, once you're through the limbo, then you can see like that light of like what is best for you. Yeah. So what is, this is how I always end. Okay. But I love to know what piece of advice would you give the younger version of yourself, whatever age, mm-hmm. that you think when you needed it the most, the version, the man you are today, what would you say to the younger you? Ooh. I've never been asked that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, it gets me when I ask this question. Like, cause when I think about myself, mm-hmm. I would just go to the younger version of me and just like hug her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I think she just needed love, not from anyone else, but from myself. But from herself. But I love to know what other people would say. 
honestly, I would just like grab him by the cheeks and just say, you're beautiful. Yeah. You're beautiful as you are. Don't let the toxicity around you eat you up. Mm-hmm. It would make your life so much easier. And you're so beautiful as you are. Nate, you are beautiful as you are. Thank you. This is so, this one, I kind of felt like I wanted to ball four times through. I've been like, oh, same. Hold it I have like, I've I had know. like the little teardrops, but then yeah. not full ones. I'm just like, uh, uh. Just thank you for for sharing your story with me and with my listeners. And I'm proud of the work you're I'm proud to live in Utah because we are now one of the states. And this is due to you and your work, too, that thank you. it is banned now. That's yes. big. We're a Republican state. This is literally banned. it's huge. It's really it's a big deal. We're I'm a very like, conservative state. We're progressing. We are. Proud we're of making Utah. changes. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so honored that I got to discuss this with you today. Um, in such a special month as well. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you? They're going to want to find you. <laughs> um, honestly, Instagram. That's my that's my spiel. That's my thing, okay. um, which is Nate, N-A-T-E underscore W-I-N, Nate underscore Win. All right, you guys. Find Nate at Nate Win on Instagram. And we love you. Thank you for sharing your story, Nate. Thank you. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye.